talking to Dan, we got the JV on today, so. <laughs> and as, as you can see, the subject today is joy, but um, since it's raining and we were going to go out on the kayaks this afternoon, but it's supposed to storm and stuff, so maybe we'll have to talk about something else. Or maybe not. <laughs> Let's pray. Father, thank you for your spirit. Thank you that he indwells us as believers and that the fruit of your spirit can come out in our lives. I just pray that as we consider the working of the spirit, as we consider the salvation that you've given us, as we consider the hope that we have for eternity, that joy would come out of our lives as a result. Just thank you for this morning and just ask your blessing and your leading as we open your word. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, I got my, my Nick jokes, but he didn't show up, so we'll have to save those for another time, so the sermon might be a little short this morning. Okay, well, let's just for, by way of reminder, we are doing a series on the fruit of the Spirit, so let's go back to Galatians. Uh, let's see if anybody learned that song. What, what was the last? Where's it? Galatians 5, 22. Can you sing it? <laughs> we will read that together. We'll start actually in verse 21 or 18. It says there, but if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law, and those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. So, uh, in, in his introduction, Nick pointed out a couple things I'd just like to remind us of, and for those who weren't here last week, if you're a grammarian, you might read that it says, the fruit of the Spirit is, and then it lists nine things. So, seems like it should be plural, right? But it says the fruit, and it says is, and then it lists nine things. It doesn't say the fruits of the Spirit are. And so that's not really just being nitpicky. It's thinking about the fact that these aren't things that we, you know, we go out, like Nick said last week, you work on love until you're really good at love, and then next week you're going to work on joy until you're really good at joy and peace and on so on and so forth, and then you might get hung up on one of them. That's your, your weak point. No, it's the fruit of the Spirit who lives in us. Ephesians says that when we believed, God gave us his Holy Spirit. So anybody here this morning who is a believer in Jesus for salvation has the Spirit of God living in you. And these things are going to come out in your life. But there's, a, there's this contrasting fruit or actually, not fruit, work of the flesh. So when we're working to get something done, that first list that came out that didn't sound so good is what tends to come out in our lives. Fruit is something organic. 
It just kind of happens, comes out. And when we have the Spirit of God in us, those things will, will work their way out in our life. It's not, a, it's not a Herculean effort that we go through to make sure I've checked these off today and I've, I've done them all. It's something that we can do. And then it says, in, um, that last verse that I read, it says, if we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. So we receive new life and the indwelling of the Spirit at the time of salvation. And that same Spirit will help us live our daily life, our walk. And these things will come out in our life as we do that. So, the subtitle here that uh, Mike and I settled on was Christmas in July. And we're not going to spend a lot of time on Christmas, and we're not even going to spend a whole lot of time in Luke 2. But there is a, a key verse there that we read oftentimes at Christmas. And so tying that together with the, you know, Nick also introduced the, the subject of fruitcake last week. I'm not going to make you all stand up and confess to three people that you're a fruitcake um, like he did, but fruitcake is also, uh, you know, tends to show up at Christmas time. And so Mike and I thought this might be a good one to, to settle on. Um, other than that, this could be our last mention of Christmas. So, what is joy? Is it, uh, is it something that you find when you take exit 20 off of I-80 in Iowa? It's kind of a cool road sign. It says, what cheer? So, you, you know, you can evidently go find what cheer is off that exit. Um, there's, on the left-hand side of the screen there, I found there's a couple of world records. One is around smiling, and the other's around laughter. So, some girl... Uh, was able to hold a smile for two hours, two minutes, and four seconds. And that was good enough to get a world record. And then this gentleman here, he was able to laugh for three hours and six minutes. I would say he's, he's more talented, right? Because it seems like <laughs> it takes more work to laugh than to, than to smile. So, but those are world records. And what the Bible says about joy is rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. So laughter, smiling, and joy, maybe you're not quite the same thing, right? And maybe we'll, and we'll dig into that a little bit more. But laughter, the Bible says laughter is good medicine. And sometimes we do, we just need a good laugh. And the Bible says, like I said, it's good medicine, but we can't really live on medicine for very long and very healthily, right? We won't make it very well just on medicine. But God has given us joy in his spirit as an ongoing thing, and it's not dependent on hearing something funny or having good circumstances. It's raining. My plans have changed. You know, you're probably thinking, who cares, Bob? I mean, that's, that's not a big deal. You should hear what I had to go through this week, right, or this morning. <laughs> Heard some stories about this morning already. So the point is, what happens to us is not the source of our joy. And I want to talk about a couple things that are a source of our joy. And before we jump into them, I did a search on a Bible Hub website for joy, and it came back with 422 results. So rather than sit and read through all of them this morning, I thought maybe we would just focus on a couple things. And I'm sure that if you have spent some time thinking about joy or studying joy, that I'm going to miss a lot of things that you've really enjoyed over time. So 
the, the good thing to do would be once you get up, you can tell somebody around you something that you've enjoyed about it as well, or come tell me, that, that would be great. But I'd, I don't by any means say that I'm going to do an exhaustive study on joy this morning, or that that would even be possible, um, even if we did a whole series on it. So, I'm going to pick out a couple things. Before we go to the next slide, are there any Greek scholars in the room? Because we might have to skip the next one. Alec, no? <laughs> okay, well that's good. Then I'll, I'll, I'll kind of you know, play the Greek scholar, but I'm not a Greek scholar, and I didn't go looking for you know, Greek. If you aren't aware, the Bible was originally written by hand, the New Testament, in Greek. And so uh, Greek has some significance in understanding the Bible at times. And I kind of, I wasn't looking for the Greek meaning of words here, but I kind of came across what we're, I'm going to show you on this next slide, and I thought it was very cool. So I wanted to show it to you this morning, because there are three words that all have the same root. And so the, the English spelling of the Greek word is there in black, and I can't pronounce it. It looks like charis, chara, and charo, something like that. But the one on the left means grace. And so we see that one translated as grace, um, which is a benefit or a gift that's given. The second one is translated joy, and that's our subject this morning. And it comes from the same root, and it's an awareness of grace. And those two words are nouns. They're person, places, or things. They're things. And then the third one is rejoice, which is an action. It's a verb, and it is to be glad for grace. So grace, or that root word, means favorably disposed or leaning towards. So I'm not going to you know, pretend to explain the details of that language, but what I really enjoyed understanding about joy is that joy could be translated leaning into grace. And God's grace is a free gift that's given to me in salvation. And in so much more than just salvation from my sins, but salvation for my life and salvation for eternity. And so that grace is something, it says the gifts and the calling of God are, are without repentance, or God doesn't change his mind when he gives you a gift. So our joy leaning into that grace, being aware of that grace of God, is something that can never change, right? Because God's grace never changes. And so sometimes we lose some awareness of that, and so we don't live in that joy, and we don't have that verb, that rejoicing, that comes out of the result of our understanding of grace. So the next slide is where we got our uh, Christmas in July, but this kind of illustrates to me the tie between joy and God's grace. It says in Luke 2, in the same region, this was before Jesus' birth, in the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night, and an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. So the fact that God has given a Savior, and you might say, well, what do I need a Savior for? Well, if you study God in the Bible, and you are aware of your own life, you'll understand that there's this big gap between you and God, and it's caused by sin. 
And that separation from God is not a good thing because God is a source of light. He's a source of hope. He's a source of joy. He's a source of life. And when we get separated from God, we lose all those things. And we're under judgment because of sin. So the news that God sent a Savior into this world and even gave him the human name of Jesus, which means Savior, is good news. And it's a source of great joy for all people. All the way, here we are, 2,000 years later, and it's good news of great joy for us. And if we understand that, if we remember that, and we lay hold of that, that will be a source of joy in our life. That's kind of one of the big points I want, to, want us to get this morning, is the fact that our joy is rooted in the grace of God and in our salvation. So there's another verse here from Luke chapter 10, and Jesus had, uh, had picked out 72 disciples that he sent out to, in groups of two, and he sent them out, and they were preaching, and they were doing miracles, and they healed people, and there were people that were possessed with demons. They cast out the demons. The demons had to do what they said. And so it says uh, they came back, and they were happy, and they were telling, telling each other and telling Jesus stories about all these great things that they had done as they walked around and told the gospel, and demons were subject to them. But Jesus said this. It was kind of interesting. He said, Behold, I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall hurt you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. So some of the stuff we do doesn't always turn out the way we want it to turn out, even when we're, we're trying to serve Jesus. Things might, might go wrong. Well, more often than not, it seems like they do go wrong because we don't know what to expect. But Jesus says, that's not what you're rejoicing in. It's not the, the power you have, the, the fruit of your work. Rejoice because your name is written in heaven. And that will never change. Once your name is written in heaven, you're set for eternity. So that's the source of our joy. And I, I wanted to, one other passage, and I don't have this on the screen, so if you want to turn to John chapter 15, this one I thought maybe we should read and take a little bit of time to look at, because in the end of it, of what we're going to read, Jesus says, these things have I spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. So if we want to talk about joy and understand joy, I think it, it would be good to hear what Jesus says is going to make our joy be full. So John 15, and we'll start with verse 1. It says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Now, if you've noticed, we've already read the word fruit several times. So this kind of has a parallel to the fruit of the Spirit, because uh, the subject is fruit and fruit coming out of our life. So he says then in verse 3, already you're clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. So they were, they were saved by faith already. Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I'm the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he's thrown away like a branch and withers, and 
gets, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it shall be done for you. By this is my Father, my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things have I spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. So there's a, a couple things in here. Uh, we just read in verse 8 that showing this fruit is, a, is kind of an evidence or a proof that we are disciples of Jesus, right? So he talks a lot about abiding and that he's the branch, we're the vines. And I think what I would like us to get from that this morning is that we need to abide in Jesus, meaning we're spending time with him. We're conscious of his presence with us. We're giving thanks. We're listening to his word. We're speaking to him in prayer. We're abiding in Jesus. And that, that's a key thing to our joy being full, is that we're abiding in Jesus. And I wanted to notice, too, that there's this uh, little statement in verse 2. It says, every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes. So sometimes we get this idea that, you know, I must not be uh, serving Jesus properly because things are not going really well in my life. Uh, things, you know, when I, I try and I don't get the results I think I should or a bunch of things go wrong in my life that aren't even related to that. And so something must be wrong with me. But Jesus says, if you're bearing fruit for me, my Father is going to prune you. <laughs> and, and that's, you know, that, in a way that's not very comforting, but in a way it is comforting, right? Because it means that when we look around and we see our plans are getting changed or we're not being received the way we wanted to be received, we finally got up the courage to tell somebody the gospel and, and they walked away from us, whatever it might be, those things are not signs that we're not bearing fruit for Jesus. They could be signs that we are bearing fruit for Jesus. And he and his father are pruning us. So I want to show you a couple pictures. This spring, I pruned my apple tree. And I, I'm, not a, I'm not a horticulturalist, if that's even the right word for somebody that takes care of fruit trees. But I have heard that it's good to prune fruit trees. And so I, I went up and I, I went online and tried to figure out how you're supposed to prune them. So, you know, there's all these uh, methods to it. And then I just went out and started cutting. And so, you know, but I see a little evidence here that it maybe works. Because here on the, on the left, here's a branch that I didn't cut. And that's a very pretty leafy green branch. But can anybody tell me what's missing? Apples. Yeah, fruit. There's no apples on that branch. Now this one here, I don't know if you can see here, but there is a, a fresh cut where I just chopped that healthy branch off and what's going on on that branch? Fruit. Yeah, there's apples and it works. <laughs> so that's how our lives are sometimes, you know. God sees fruit. He sees you connected to Jesus. He sees you wanting to serve Jesus and he sees that that faith needs to be strengthened. And he allows some circumstances in our life that are not fun. It's kind of like getting cut.
cut off, you know, chop, <laughs> chopped up a little bit. And our tendency might be to back off. You know, I, what, I don't know if I want to do this uh, a God thing. I don't know if I want to try to serve Jesus anymore. Um, this is not going like I expected. Well, it's going like Jesus told you it would go. So take heart. <laughs> Keep on. And that, that's a key part of fruit bearing and joy. And James kind of takes it a little further here. He says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. So Jesus said, in the world you'll have trouble, but don't fear, I've overcome the world, right? Well, James says, count it joy. Be joyful that, that you're suffering trials, right? When you meet trials of various kinds, he doesn't even get specific about what kinds of trials we can look at and say, oh, that's one that's uh, going to strengthen me, and this one's not. This one's my fault. That one's God's fault. That one's Satan's fault. We don't sort them out that way. God allows those things in our life to strengthen us and to teach us endurance. Some of you guys are runners and gals, and to get better at running, you run further. You run harder. You run under difficult situations so that you can do well when it comes to the race. And God tests our faith in the same way. He allows circumstances, that pruning, and it'll bring fruit in the long run. And it might not be fruit that we really see today. Now, everybody here knows me at a different level, and you might think, well, that's kind of easy for Bob to say because he's had kind of a good life. And that's true. I have. I mean, I've been blessed, and I, I really admit that I haven't seen a lot as far as deep trials, tests of faith, and I'm, I'm thankful to God for that. I, I don't pray for trials every day. Maybe I should, but <laughs> I'm thankful. But I, I want to tell you a little bit about the story of this man here. Um, his name is Mark Herringer. He lived in Boston at the time of this story, and his daughter was 18 months old, and he had a three-year-old son. And they came home on a snowy day, and he needed to clear the driveway, and his wife needed to go back out shopping for some more stuff. And he was supposed to watch his daughter. Anyway, through that whole circumstance, his daughter ended up being run over and killed in his presence. So that's a trial. That's a trial I I don't really, you know, I can't imagine that. But this man, I wanted to get his picture on here and not just tell his story because This is uh, from a video where he's speaking in an interview, and I don't know if it comes through as well on this picture as it does on the DVD, but you can see tears in his eyes. You can see sorrow there, but you can see a smile of peace and joy at the same time. And our joy is not dependent on our circumstances. This man went through one of the worst things that we could imagine, especially, you know, if you you're a parent. It's one of the worst things you can imagine, and some of you have been through that. But he's, he's got a smile, and I, I typed up a quote of his, and I'm going to read it to you because I think he can say it as one with experience, and, and coming from him, it, it will have more authority. He says, if I look at it from my own experience, I think I would say that God is in control of all things, and nothing is beyond his reach. Nothing is beyond his control. The joy is knowing that this is just temporary, that there's something much more 
the eternal perspective changes things because it takes the focus off my experience now and puts it at a different level, a different realm. The Bible says heaven will be a place where there are no more tears, no pain or crying or death. Okay, so if that's true, then the hope is that these things will be resolved and we'll understand that we'll have more clarity that we don't have now. The greatest hope is that one day I'll walk with her in heaven, she'll be perfect, and I'll be full of joy. And this life will have made a lot more sense because sometimes it doesn't, but I have that hope. So our joy is also rooted in the fact that we have a hope. God has saved us. He's given us a salvation. He's shown his grace to us. We can lean into that grace, and we can experience joy in knowing what Jesus did for us on the cross. We can look at the circumstances around us, whether it's rain, whether it's the loss of a loved one, whether it's sickness, whether it's depression. We can look at those circumstances, and then we can look up, and we can know that I have a hope. Everything going on around me here is temporary. It's going to pass away. All those things, all, all of the negative aspects that we experience in our life now are going to be gone, and that is a source of joy for us in this life. And that, that's a, a source of joy that Mark experienced and can, can speak to from personal experience, even in the loss of his young daughter. So how do we maintain that joy? And here again, you know, as I said, there's over 400 references to joy in the Bible. So putting kind of a list or, or something up here is maybe a little misleading because it implies that this covers it all. Um, bullet points, you know, should, should cover the whole situation. But I'm not covering everything here. But here's a key verse too, I think, in Philippians 4. Verse 4, it says, Rejoice in the Lord always. And we had this at the beginning, right? Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say, rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your mind in Christ Jesus. So there's a, a number of things in there that I wanted to point out. It says, first it starts out, it says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. And that sounds to me like a command. <laughs> rejoice. Be filled with joy. That rejoices, remember, that's the verb that comes from the noun of joy. And so rejoice is the the thing we do in our life to show that we have joy in our hearts. And, and so here in Philippians, there's this command, and it's reiterated. And I was listening to Francis Chan. He said, this is the only command that's just like, you know, it doesn't say, thou shalt not kill. Again, I say, thou shalt not kill. But it says this about rejoice. Just rejoice. Again, I say, rejoice. And, and God has an expectation of that out of us. So how do we do that? Well, it says, let your reasonableness be known to everyone. And so, if we think about what God has done for us in grace, that can't change. That's permanent. He's saved us by grace through faith. If we think about our future, that's going to, by the way, is going to last forever, 
and is going to make the rest of our lives seem like just a little, a little speck on the timeline, and what that is going to be like in heaven, where there's no tears, there's no crying, you know, there's, there's nothing besides the fruit of the Spirit, all those great things, love, joy, peace, patience, all, probably not patience, because there won't be anything to be patient about, right? <laughs> so, if you think of, about your circumstances, and I think about my circumstances in light of what God has done for me, and in light of what my future is like, it's reasonable that I wouldn't get all worked up about the fact that I have three bills due and payday is not for two weeks, right? It, it's, it's just not that big of a deal. <laughs> if we have it in perspective now, I'm not going to say that, that I, I never worry about money or anything else, but if I think about it in a proper perspective, that certainly comes through. So it's reasonable to look at the troubles that we're in and see them as not insurmountable. The next thing is the Lord is at hand. Do not, the Lord is at hand. So that, that's what we talked about. There is a day coming when God is going to wipe out all of those negative things, and we're going to be in heaven with him forever, and that day is at hand. It's not far away. Like I said, if you think of eternity, it never ends. And so the whole span of your life and of my life is very insignificant in light of eternity. And that day is at hand. And then it says, don't be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. So it doesn't say there's nothing to be anxious about. It says, don't be anxious about it. But here's the response instead. Talk to your Savior. You remember the, the, the God that came down and became a man and that lived a difficult life for 30 years and died at a young age, a cruel, horrendous death? That man who was God, who was made sin, with your sins, with my sins, placed on him at the cross, and that stood in and took the judgment of God for sin and died and rose again and gives us the hope of eternity? Do you think he can't handle your problem? The God that created this world, if you look up on a clear night and you don't have a lot of streetlights around you and you see the stars, you feel kind of insignificant. And your problems seem kind of insignificant. I heard a song one time, a, a guy singing a song about going up in a hot air balloon and how from that perspective, he kind of got a new perspective on life. He's like, everything's little down there. <laughs> and he wasn't even out of the atmosphere. You know, it's hard to tell the difference between a new BMW and an old beater driving down the road from, from a, you know, half a mile up. <laughs> And all, all the people crawling around, they're, they're little, no matter how big they are. And so as we go up and think about the creator of this universe, that he loved us, that he gave his son to die for us, to redeem us so that we could be with him, it says, how will he not also with that give you everything to enjoy richly? He intends us to have joy in our lives. And so we can take these things that interrupt that and just give them to him, and not just pray about it, but it says, with thanksgiving. And sometimes that's a little hard to do, because when we're praying, 
The problem is not solved yet, but we can pray with a thankful spirit, knowing that whatever God does, maybe he decides there's a couple more chops to be made in the pruning process in our life. But we know that he's doing that for good because he created us. And he created us for his enjoyment to reflect his glory so that people can look at us and see something about what God is like. And so when he brings those things into our life that produce more joy, people look at us and they say, I don't know what that is, but it's not normal. It's not natural. And that's the fruit of the Spirit coming out in your life and in my life. And then it says, The peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So don't worry. Be joyful. Now there's a... I, I don't know if you can read that down in the bottom left-hand corner. There's a quote from Psalm 51. And Psalm 51 was written by David after he committed adultery and he had the woman's husband killed to make it look like it was just a random killing in battle to cover up what he did. And so he was, he was going on okay with that at the time. And then this prophet came and called it to his attention. And he went through this time of sorrow, and part of that was he wrote this Psalm 51. And he said, Restore to me the joy of your salvation, and uphold me, with the willing spirit. So he didn't say, restore to me my salvation. Our salvation is something that we received as a gift of God. So David, when he received his salvation, he, he didn't say, oh, I lost it because I goofed up, because I sinned, I, did, I committed adultery, I committed murder, it's over with now, I need to be saved again. No, he said, restore the joy of my salvation. And one thing that can take the joy away from us is sin. So we have joy because God gave us a Savior. He delivered us from sin. He also delivered us from the power of sin. He gave us his spirit so that we can live in freedom from sin. But when we let sin come into our life, it'll take away that joy. And so part of that restoring process is the confession of sin and that prayer of God, to God to restore the joy that we have, that we had because of our salvation. And then there's that, that little question, what is your perspective? Because if your perspective, you know, we can get in a situation where if we're looking at it a certain way, it can be very negative. Debbie was telling me about this story, um, and she heard it on the radio, so it's true, because that's like two steps better than Facebook, I think, as far as, you know, knowing something's true. It's not quite as good as TV, because you don't see the picture, but it was on the radio, and this man was telling a story, and I, I think it was true, but he had a, a problem with anger. And he was illustrating how bad his problem with anger was. That he, uh, he was on a side street trying to pull onto a busy road, I think maybe a left turn. There's a lot of traffic, and he's waiting and waiting, and his patience is running thinner and thinner. And this car pulls up behind him and honks at him. So he slammed it in park, he jumped out, reached in the guy's window, shook him by the shirt and said, I don't know what he said, but <laughs> it, wasn't, it wasn't the fruit of the spirit. And he kind of tossed him back down and walked back to his car. As he's walking back to his car, 
he saw this bumper sticker on his car that his wife had put on the car that said, honk if you love Jesus. So he, you know, obviously he wasn't real proud of his behavior. But if he had known that person pulling up behind him was honking because he loves Jesus, he would have waved and smiled, right? But he thought it was for some other purpose. And where we sit, we don't see the purpose of what's going on around us. So we can turn it over to God, trust him because we know he's good, and move forward in joy. So changing our perspective can help us to live in joy. So let's, let's go through, um, and this will kind of serve as a recap too, but we, we lose our joy sometimes. I, we, I mean, we, we don't live in the joy that the Spirit of God provides to us. So what, what do we do? Well, we just remember the things we've been talking about, and I'm sure that any of you could add things to this list. Again, you know, I, I put it bullet points, so it, it looks like it should be exhaustive, but it's not. But remember grace. And I put in here Romans 3, 21 through 30, and specifically probably reading it in the New Living Translation, that, that just talks about how we're saved. That's a good passage for me to go back and read when I'm out of joy. Because it, it reminds me about my salvation. And you've probably encountered passages of Scripture that you need to remember and you need to go back to to remind you of grace when you're struggling with joy. Confess sin, just like David. Restore the joy of my salvation. If you have sin in your life, that's not the end of it. Right? Jesus died for that sin. And he said, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins. And then... Once that's cleared up between us, we're not trying to hide something from God anymore. That joy can come back. Remember that heaven is forever and construction is temporary. So part of that pruning process is building us, right? I mean, God is building us all the way through this life. We're never going to completely become the image of Jesus until we're in heaven with him. But as we go through our Christian life, God is doing things in our life to make us more like Jesus. So change your perspective. Remember, heaven is forever, and these difficult aspects of construction of who we are is temporary, and turn our worries over to God. Prayer is important for joy. Give it to God with thankfulness, which is the last point. Give thanks and rejoice. And I threw in there, get some good music, because that's helpful to me, <laughs> because there are... Um, times when I can just put on a certain playlist and after I've been listening to the music, listening to the words, I feel better. It just brings back some of that praise and that worship that goes along with joy. And so giving thanks and rejoicing, music is one way to do it. That, that's, not a, that's not a prescription, but <laughs> it is one way that helps. So those are some things that you can think about when you're struggling with joy. I, I, uh, a couple of weeks ago, well, maybe last week, I, uh, in the morning, getting ready to leave, go to work, and um, Debbie was asking me some questions, and all of a sudden I realized it's 8.08, .08, and I have a meeting at 
and it takes me 30 minutes to get to work and the meetings with a vice president and director, which may not sound like a big deal to you, but where I sit, that's kind of a big deal. And so <laughs> I was going to be eight minutes late for this meeting. And I, uh, my joy was gone. <laughs> very quickly, I was very frustrated because, you know, who schedules a meeting at 8.30? Why was my wife talking to me when I'm trying to go to work? You know, I mean, heaven forbid that it was my fault that I'm leaving eight minutes late when I knew I had an 8.30 meeting. But um, I took off out of, the, out of the driveway and I was frustrated with all these things and it's like, yeah, I'm preaching on joy in a couple of weeks. <laughs> so I thought about some of these things that we're talking about and I, I prayed, God, I know that you can get me there on time and I'll try not to help too much around speed here, <laughs> but I know you can get me there on time if you want to could you get me there in 22 minutes? So it takes 30 minutes from pulling out of the driveway to sitting at my desk. And that morning it took me 22 minutes on the button. There's between 15 and 20 stoplights that I have to stop at and they're, they're very long stoplights and they're not logically laid out so the three cars get two minutes to go through and the 16 cars get 30 seconds. But every one of them was either green when I got there or within a couple seconds of me getting there. And as I was going along and seeing this and kind of waiting for the next one to be read, I was realizing that God is in control of everything, even the stoplights. And um, so praise started to kind of bubble up from my heart. And I think God doesn't always do that. He doesn't always turn the traffic signals green just to make up for your, my lack of planning. But he did that that day. I think, I think he was just demonstrating to me his power and that he does answer prayer, even in simple little things like that. And I think I got pruned a little bit that morning. <laughs> and I wasn't the last one to the meeting either. <laughs> so we're getting ready now to take communion. And I just... Um, the band can come up now, but there's a term that is used sometimes, probably in some denominations more than others, for taking the Lord's Supper, and it's Eucharist. And when I stumbled across those other meanings of joy, I also stumbled across this. This was in a, a book that Debbie was showing me, um, it, and this is when Jesus was establishing the Lord's Supper. He, it says, now as they were eating, this is from Matthew 26, Jesus took bread, and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. And he took a cup. When he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until the day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom." So that word, those words, given thanks, is that word, eucharisteo, and the gray part in there is from that same root that comes from grace and from joy and from rejoicing. And Jesus, this was before he went to the cross, and he's giving them a symbol that we have this morning of the bread and the juice that speak of his body given for us and his blood given for us. 
and the forgiveness of sins that he was going to have to pay very dearly for on the cross. And he had this joy, seated in grace and rejoicing. He was giving thanks for this cup, for this bread, that reminded, reminds us today of his body given for us. And so let's just give thanks for that a minute, and then as the band plays, you can come up and partake of it as a remembrance of your Savior, if you know him. <clears throat> Lord Jesus, thank you for going to the cross for us. Thank you for bearing our sin in your body there, for shedding your blood to atone for it. Thank you for this bread for this juice that reminds us of that this morning. Thank you for the joy that we have in the remembrance of your grace toward us. And we just commit this time to you. I just pray that all of our, our minds would be focused on your saving grace this morning as we partake in this bread and this juice and as we live our week. I pray in Jesus' name. Sometimes we talk about masks, and maybe the thought occurred to you, you know, is, is this joy thing in the middle of troubles, is that the same as wearing a mask, maybe? I would say no. Wearing a mask is denying the reality of what's going on in our life. Joy is looking at a greater reality than what's going on in my life. Grace, we just sang about that, amazing grace. We're saved by grace. That's never going to change. That's a constant reality for all eternity. One day, everything in the circumstances of our life is going to be gone. The negative parts of it are going to be gone. Only the fruit is going to remain. And so as we think about that greater reality, joy, it's not a mask. It's just letting the greater reality show in our lives and in our hearts. Have a good week. Thank you for being with us. We're going to sing one more song. Amen.